0: avoiding killing avoiding lying avoiding stealing avoiding sexual misconduct and avoiding intoxication all of these precepts or guidelines for a an upright open-hearted life have to do with relationships their actions in the world that put you in relation to other beings so unless we you know we think of meditation as being self-involved that is we're sitting by ourselves turning inward this is a a personal non-relational activity, that isn't actually correct. But but the moral life, the good life, the open-hearted life always has to do with relationships. And in fact, we are always in relationship, even when we're sitting alone, even when we are alone, we're always in relationship. So a good bit of the blossoming of a good life, a moral life, has to do with the way you are in relationship to beings. The way you act in relationships. And so I'd like to focus our attention right now on the fairy tale of the Three Little Pigs. This is our Sutra for today. Sometimes I find that non-Buddhist literature, especially children's stories, are much more appropriate teachings in our Buddhist practice than the sutras themselves. So I'm going to focus on, as a matter of fact, you might even consider, and I'm finding this more and more, that while the canon of Buddhist literature, the sutras, uh, the Abhidharma, uh, all the discourses, all of these are really important to study. But, Sometimes things that literature that isn't directly connected with Buddhism has a lot to say about Buddhist practice, just as I have found in my academic life that subjects that were not directly involved with what I was studying sometimes had more appropriate meaning than the actual content of my field. So here, the story of the three little pigs, which I'm sure many of you have heard. And how is this story of the three little pigs relevant to relationships? Well, clearly there is a relationship going on a number of relationships going on, particularly between the little pigs and the big bad wolf. And the story begins with the three little pigs building houses. And of course, one could one can ask to begin with, why are they building houses? <laughs> We're we're all building houses. These are particular kinds of houses. The first house is the house of straw. The second little pig builds a house of twigs. And the third little pig builds a house of bricks. Now, I have come to read this house building, much as the way Buddha talked about his moment of enlightenment as consisting of seeing the house of the ego being completely dismantled, the beams falling, the rafters falling down, the roof collapsing. This is the structure of self that we are building. And we build this house of self from the minute we exit the womb. (laughs) The first house, we can see this, is in an evolutionary way. The first house is is of straw. It's not terribly, our egos aren't terribly well-developed. They are very porous, very open. The second house, as we grow, we fortify. We we make a stronger house of ego, of self. We add accomplishments. We add roles to our lives. Uh, and so that house of ego looks more more stable uh stronger than the house of straw and then as we proceed through life our house of ego becomes very strong bricks such that we actually give those bricks names i am a buddhist i am a capitalist I am um, whatever ist you you want to call yourself. And those ist's come from isms. <laughs> so as long as there is a Buddhism, there is a Buddhist. As long as there is an atheism, there is an atheist. As long as there is racism, there is a racist. These are the bricks that we build our house with and in fact, we attribute to other people who are building their houses. So yes, most of us on this screen here can identify these different bricks, these isms that we have put together to make our house. And what is the function of this house? Well, we live in it. (laughs) And we actually hide in it. We feel protected by it. That's what our house functions to do, to protect us. Protect us from what? From the big bad wolf. What sometimes we can call the other. Everything outside of our house is the other, and that other is a threat. It's not just a wolf, it's a big bad wolf who comes and says, I want to enter your house. I'm gonna huff and I'm gonna puff until I blow your walls down. And the pig says, not by the hair of my chinny chin chin. There we have, as soon as we have a house, we have another. As soon as we have a self, we have another. They go together. The wolf would not be another unless we had a self. (laughs) I would just be a wolf and we would just be a pig a little pig but as soon as we build a house we have another and we have another who threatens us who threatens that house and so what we learn is that if you have a flimsy house house of straw if your ego is porous and you're vulnerable that big bad wolf is going to come in and eat you you're going to be destroyed but if your ego is a little bit stronger if you build a better house a stronger sense of self you're less likely to be eaten by the big bad wolf. Nonetheless, that big bad wolf has a way of getting in. <laughs> and the second pig is eaten up because his house isn't strong enough. He's been blown away by the ego, by the, by the, um, by the other the other will eventually get you and so the third pig has a powerful powerful brick house and he's fortified or she's fortified by all of these these isms and these it's it's all these labels all these things that that self identifies with I identify with this, I identify with that, and thus I am impregnable. Well, what do you know? The wolf finds a way in through the chimney. The other, as long as you have a self, the other is going to find its way to you. And it will come down the chimney. But if, you're, if you have a pot of boiling water at the base of your chimney, if you're really fanatic, if you're fiery, if you're totally, totally an extremist, you'll kill, you'll kill the other. You'll kill the other. And the wolf falls into that pot and is burned up by the flames. But the fact of the matter is that that, that that third pig who is in this impregnable house, in this fanatical house, is trapped. He's, he or she is imprisoned themselves by their house they can't get out either because of the fear of the other. So though the fanatic, the rigid self does manage to kill the other and absolutely exclude the other from their lives, they themselves are destroyed by their own imprisonment. They themselves have no life because they are suffocated by their own walls. So how do we live without that kind of protection which enables us to engage in the world in a good-hearted, open-hearted, welcoming way so that we don't create, so that we're not always creating the other and living in fear of the other. What would life be like if we lived in a completely unguarded way with very little of a house following us along so that everything outside of that house becomes an other i think i think it was in the biblical saying wasn't it that um in uh in paradise the is it is it (laughs) i'm thinking of the wolf and the pig I think it's in the lion and the lamb, right? Lie down together. Is that, those of you who know the Bible, is it that the lion and the lamb lie down together instead of a life in which there is an adversarial relationship between who we are and who everyone else is, instead of an adversarial relationship, it's a celebratory relationship of difference. We are different. The pig is different from the wolf. Each of us is different from everyone else. There is no doubt about that. But instead of regarding those differences as threats, as otherness, can we celebrate our differences? Can we learn from those differences? Can the lion and the lamb lie down together in the vastness of the universe? Why are we always in this adversarial protective role? Because we don't really understand the fact that there really is no self and there really is no other. There's just the lamb, the lion, the pig, the wolf, different, different, but not separate connected in this web of life so this is our practice to discover that though we are different we are not separate and that we do not have to build this strong house that keeps others out but also suffocates us, that we can live in a open, vulnerable way to all beings. So, a couple of years ago, we had the book group at um, in town, book study group, And there were a number of practitioners, uh, participants, who uh, just wanted to learn about Buddhism and Buddhist practice, who were not members of our Sangha. And one of them asked me once, when will I know that I'm a Buddhist? And I thought to myself and asked her, why is it important to know? Because what we're always doing is finding bricks (laughs) to self. It's important because we need that brick to build our house. And so we have to know, am I a Buddhist? Am I a capitalist? Am I an atheist? Am I a nationalist? Am I a racist? Am I this? Am I that? So I can maneuver myself into selfhood. (laughs) into being a strong self. And this is ten- what we tend to do. We tend to maneuver ourselves into that house so that we feel stronger, we feel protected, because we know who we are. <laughs> We're Buddhists, and we know that they aren't. So we know, we know where the We know where the tension lies, and we know how to fortify ourselves against them. So what I'm doing is inviting us to examine the house of self that we've built and that we live in, and to examine how we relate, because Sheila, morality, open heartedness is about relationships in the world, how we treat all beings, how we treat each other. And so to examine this house that we've built and all those that we're keeping out, all the others, and then also to examine the sense in which we have become other and how that feels. And I remember when I had a, a, just recently in Japan and everyone that I saw when I was particularly in the, um, in the more remote areas of Japan, everyone there was Japanese. And they all looked Japanese. And I wasn't Japanese. And I really felt different. They didn't treat me differently. But I could feel that I was, I was othering. (laughs) I was othering. And I suspect that each of us is not only selfing, but is also othering. That is, I'm inviting you to maybe share times when you felt that you were suddenly the other. When I was younger, and I actually had black hair, (laughs) uh, I was in Sweden, and I was the only black-haired person that I saw and and people also can spot americans and that made me feel other when i was in a foreign country and there are many other ways in which even at the university you know being a woman philosopher among men all men i I was the first woman in the department of philosophy who was achieving a, a, a doctorate degree that was really difficult to be an other in a male situation so again this self other dynamic is constantly going on and it's good to notice it, it's good to notice it. And to begin almost, um, to begin in, in, your, in, your th- in your thinking, in your feeling, in your actions, to begin, you might say, deconstructing your house. <laughs> brick by brick, brick by brick. Or if it's still there, just make it a big pile that can go. Can be something else. It can be a, uh, you know, uh, a swimming pool or a statue, or don't take that house to be your fortress, but keep every time you find yourself putting in an ist or an ism, just know that that's all it is. And there's really, you know what's inside there? What we call emptiness. That is possibility. Liberation. <laughs> you know, my, that's what Buddha said when he was enlightened. My house has fallen down. I'm free. <laughs> I'm free. I'm not an ist, an ism, or anything like that. You know we can play with those ideas and and we can be serious about them but not identify not think that this this is this is who you are it's just a house you've built and others have helped you build it and so others like our sangha we can help each other take it apart and be free and be free and have a good-hearted, open relationship with all beings so that the lion and the lamb can celebrate one another so that the pig and the wolf can just wander the forest together. Yeah, so that we can all live our lives. We all want the same thing, to be safe, to be healthy, to be happy to be free. So let's have some sharing. And again, if you want to speak, have questions, have an experience to share, that would be fabulous. So palms together.
1: There you go. Um, thank you, Nedo, for that. It was interesting fairy tale. <laughs> uh, it reminded me of a time that I, uh, Dominic and I had a cabin in the mountains of West Virginia, and it overlooked a field. And we would put food out at night uh, in the field, and we would watch animals come up. There were floodlights. And once we were sitting, having coffee and tea and watching, waiting. And sure enough, a little, oh, I don't know, raccoon or something small came up and we were just smiling, watching this little animal eat the food we put out. And then we noticed in the floodlight behind that, slowly approaching was a fox. And the fox was, you know, stalking. A little bit closer, stop, a little bit closer and stop. And then we were like, oh my gosh, we've put out this food and now, you know, this poor little innocent creature is gonna become the food of this fox. You know, what have what have we done? And it got closer, and our hearts started getting pounding faster. And the little fox just came up and sat next to the little raccoon and they both ate. <laughs> it was kind of like the light and the lamb. <laughs>
2: Uh, So, it it happens, it happens in nature. Hi, just uh, one thing I was thinking about, Thinking about the precepts recently, and I looked at them, and one of the ten precepts—that's the five that Maitreya mentioned—and five more might even be the sixth one. The next one um, is about uh, not is about learning from your mistakes, uh, or yeah, not not dwelling on past mistakes, learning uh, through ignorance. And it made me think of uh, something I've been distracting myself with a lot during the lockdown, which is playing chess online. And uh, it's an old hobby I used to play in high school and I have got back into it again. And it's been really good practice for me because I really have to struggle not to get angry when I lose sometimes. Uh, For whatever reason, almost every game I'm winning, you know, then three quarters of the way through the game, my concentration slips and I, you know, make a bad move and so it's not just losing, it's you know winning and feeling you know confident and then losing and and really frustrating and I thought, oh, the precept was good because it's like, okay, well, yeah, chess is something you have to study to get good at, and you have to you know study your own games, it's nice online, you can go back, it records all your games, and you can go back and figure out what you're doing wrong and there's endless books and YouTube content, okay, I'll learn from my mistakes and then I thought, well this this isn't a mistake. <laughs> losing a chess game isn't an ethical infraction. Um, I, you know, I don't know, there's, there's no moral infraction here. And that made me to think about, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, losing this game is also kind of someone else's joy because there's nothing better for me than if I'm losing a game and the person makes a mistake. Oh, all right, I get to steal this game. Uh, you know, it happens to everyone. And just realizing that, you know, just trying to think about uh, sometimes I've heard in Buddhist practice, uh, the idea of sympathetic joy uh, of being happy about other people's happiness. And so just thinking about that as a way to, you know, there's what exactly am I mad at here? I mean, someone won the game. I'm, I'm just mad because I lost it. It's kind of an arbitrary thing you know. no one's really suffering from losing a chess game. Um, but actually someone, you know, can be happy from it. So just thinking about the other, you know, this you know, I don't get mad if I play with friends, but I get mad when I, you know, this uh, stranger from, you know, Macedonia uh, that I'm playing with, there's a little picture of themselves, maybe, Um, you know, it's harder to be happy for that person. So, just uh, just trying to, to practice that thinking about you know these are real people I'm playing with um, and it's okay if they win <laughs> it's really a problem so just was thinking of that
1: Thank you for the talk Mado. Um- Uh, I really enjoyed it and I thought it was uh, a metaphor for what's wrong with the country and the leadership